Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Colossians. Let's go to chapter 1. We want to pick up our study in verse 19 and then bring it to the conclusion. Now, let me just give you a short introduction because we're going to be speaking of we are reconciled in Christ. Interesting that we have the doctrine of reconciliation and we need to understand it. We need to know it. If we are Christian this morning, if we are born again of the Holy Spirit, if we have come to saving grace, then we have begun the process of reconciliation in our lives. The Bible says that I confess my sins, that you confess your sins, and that God so graciously forgives us. We come into his grace. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, not of works lest a man would boast. But if I've come to saving grace, I am reconciled. I come to the place of change. That's the best way to translate reconciliation. I come to the place of change in my life, in your life, as a true believer in Jesus Christ. But here's the key. Until Jesus takes us home, until we enter the pearly gates, he is continually changing us. He is continually transforming us. We've often shared this from the pulpit. I hope and, and I pray that you're not the same woman, or the same man that you were last year. If you've been a Christian 5, 10, 15, 20 years, are you still the same person? Has God brought you to that place continually of reconciliation? Have you transformed? Are you transforming? Are we still stuck in our sin nature? Are we still doing the same sins today that we were doing, you know, 15, 20 years ago? Where is the change? And so Paul, in speaking to the church at Colossae, he challenges them in this area of reconciliation. Now, Nelson's Bible Dictionary gave a beautiful insight on the word reconciliation, and I want to share it with you. Nelson begins, the process by which God and man are brought together again. The Bible teaches that God and man are alienated from one another because of God's holiness and because of man's sinfulness. Although God loves the sinner, it is impossible for him not to judge sin. Therefore, in biblical reconciliation, both parties are affected. Through the sacrifice of Christ, man's sin is atoned. God's wrath is appeased through this atonement. Now, thus, a relationship of hostility and alienation is changed into one of peace and fellowship. God changes man. God changes woman. Paul regarded the gospel as the word of reconciliation. Now, if you're taking notes, I want to give you some homework for tonight. We don't have time to develop it. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, Paul speaks beautifully about this doctrine of reconciliation. But out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, I just want to read it to you. I want you to listen. 
Paul says, and all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, his son, and has given us the ministry, listen, of reconciliation. If you're a Christian this morning, you've come to saving grace. He has changed me. He has changed you. Notice that verse 18 says he changes us unto himself, and he gives us the ministry of change, the ministry of a servant to serve God and to serve others. God transforms us. God is in the transforming business. I shared with the first service, and I'm going to share with you in the second service. You need to ask somebody, Husbands, you need to ask your wife, am I changing? We all make mistakes. I know that. And wife, I know you love your husband. Don't lie to him. Tell him the truth. But in case you do and you tell him, honey, you're doing great. Husbands, ask your children. Children have a knack of not lying. They will tell you the truth. And so am I changed? Am I changing? Is God truly transforming me? Or do I call myself a Christian and I'm still in my sins? I'm still fornicating. I'm still committing adultery. I'm still lying. I'm still cheating. I'm still cursing. You see, God has called us to reconciliation, but we have to work at this salvation. I am saved by grace, not by works, but Paul says work out your own salvation and fear and trembling. The word fear is in the reverence of God. In fact, if you've been a Christian long enough, as soon as you sin, the Holy Spirit should convict you and say, you just blew it. See, this is what happens to me. I know when I sin because the Holy Spirit's there to let me know. And then my wife comes in, and then my children come in. So where can you go? Psalm 139 says, God is the all-seeing eye. So many times we think we get away with it. And so God is reconciling us. And so Paul's going to speak to the church at Colossae. Remember that Paul was dealing with Gnosticism there. Basically, they did not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. They did not believe that Jesus is God. Now, we don't have a problem with that this morning. If you're you know, part of the Western Hemisphere, we've been taught Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Jesus is my Messiah. But do I do, truly do what he says in Scripture? Or do I just call myself a Christian? Am I a saint of God? The word hagios, am I set apart? Am I holiness unto the Lord? And so Paul deals with it. Now last week, as we began Colossians chapter 1, we spoke about the preeminence of Christ. And basically, the preeminence of Christ that Jesus is number one. That he was way before even creation. We go to Genesis 1-1 and we read left to right. But if you read off to the left, there's no words there. Jesus was already there. And so he was the preeminence. He was number one. He is number one in everything. And so I have to ask this question. You need to ask this question. Is Christ number one in my life? That's the preeminence of Christ. And so Paul begins to develop this. And I needed to go back to verse 19. 
And so let's pick up our text now. Colossians 1, look at verse 19. We are reconciled in Christ. For it pleased, I like that, the Father. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. We determined last week that in Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We're going to study that in Colossians chapter 2. We're told, as I mentioned earlier, Christ was before all creation. He was involved in creation and that all things consist by him. All things are held up by him. Look at the beginning of the verse. It pleased the Father. The Greek says that the Father approved that in Christ the fullness dwells. The Greek is telling us that in Christ the completeness inhabits. He is the permanent house. Again, in Christ is everything. In him is all. The world, uh, the universe, all is in Christ Jesus. And so in second, uh, in Colossians chapter 2, that is verse 9. In him, speaking of Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We believe in the Trinity. We teach the Trinity. But we see Jesus, the representation of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so now we go into verse 20. Listen. And by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. God has reconciled all. He reconciled all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Uh, through Jesus Christ, God has reconciled everything uh, to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and earth. And by means of his blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus made peace, listen to this, possible to God for man. Otherwise, we could not approach God. Without Jesus, I cannot approach God the Father, neither can you. In John 14, 6, Jesus says the radical statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through Christ. In John 15, 5, without me, listen to this now. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Oh, I desperately need Christ. You desperately need Christ. The Gnostics then said, he, he is just a man. They're still saying it today. Well, Jesus was a good man. Good philosopher. Great teacher. Good humanitarian. My Bible says that Jesus uh, is God. And so we see Christ. He is called the go-between. On Wednesday nights, we're studying the book of Ruth. We're going to conclude the book of Ruth this Wednesday. And we come to the place where Ruth and Boaz are married. And you study the text. Boaz becomes the kinsman redeemer. He becomes the Goel. Even though uh, Ruth is a Moabite. You see, in our salvation, Christ becomes my kinsman redeemer. 
He purchased me with his precious blood. He purchased you with his precious blood. I am reconciled in him. You are reconciled in him. Now, the Greek word we shared last week, reconciliation, it's a strong double compound word that is used here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, to reconcile completely. And God desires to completely change you, to completely change me through his love. It's a process. You've been a Christian for 10 years? It's a process. You got another 10, 15, 20 years? It's a process. And Lord willing, you're not the same man, the same woman that you were when you came to saving grace as we study God's word. By his blood, we have been reconciled. Look at verse 21. He continues. And you, and he describes our B.C. days before Christ, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled you. I love that. We all were once, now listen, alienated, estranged from God because of sin. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions of sin. Now, when I first heard that I am a sinner and that I need saving grace, I mean, I was able to be, you know, water baptized. I made my communion. I made my confirmation. And so I did all the rituals, rites, and customs, but I had never come to saving grace. When you come into this world, when I come into this world, we come in with Adamic sin. We have the sin of Adam, and we must come to that place of reconciliation. God reconciles us through his precious blood. It is so important to see that here. Notice that he says we were once alienated. You know, when I read that, because I go back and I say, I always loved God. I always loved Jesus. But I had never made a commitment of faith to him. Oh, I did the ritual, so did you. But we never come to saving grace. And we need to come to the cross. We're an enemy of God. That's very frustrating if you grew up in the church. But we need to come to saving grace. Yet now, as a Christian, a true believer in Christ, he has changed us. He has transformed us through his precious blood, the cross. And I have this salvation now because of his cross. I think more and more preachers need to stick to preaching about the cross. Be careful when we continually hear, you know, God wants to make you rich. God wants to heal you completely. Yet we have a slew of people written in our bulletin that are very ill, some even uh, to the point of death. And yet some of these are solid Christians, and they love the Lord. Only God, listen, church, can transform me, can transform you. Only God can change me. Only God can change you. So only God through his son, can reconcile me. Look at verse 22 now. In the body of his flesh uh, through death, that's how it's done, to present you holy, blameless, and I love this word, above reproach, in his sight. God has so beautifully changed you, changed me, reconciled us, right? He has changed you by his death 
on the cross. You are presented, listen, to God, holy in his sight, without blemish. That speaks of no sin and free of sin because in his eyes you were without reproach, unaccused. That's the best translation. Now, it's interesting that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul so beautifully wrote that to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And then we come to this place where he reconciles us. And then there's another doctrine, he justifies us. And the word justification, just like it never happened. God looks at us as reconciled, saved. And the enemy throws the accusations. He says here that we're unaccused. And yet, in Revelation, we're told that uh, Lucifer is the accuser of the brethren. But I come to saving grace. You come uh, to saving grace. And basically, we are unaccused because we are a purchased possession. And it's, our, our sins have been paid by the precious blood of Christ. Only in Christ, listen, church, I am holy. Only in Christ, I am righteous. Only in Christ, I'm reconciled. Only in Christ, I'm saved and I have saving grace. You see, we can try to be holy. We can try to be righteous, but we fail miserably. In fact, the Bible calls us those that are truly Christian, truly saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. He calls us saints. Now, I grew up understanding that a saint, uh, after his death or her death, uh, they went over the records, and, you know, uh, after five years of negotiations, they canonized them as saints. But yet Paul, through his epistles, he calls the church saints. The word is hagios. We're set apart. We're holy in Christ. Now, it's nothing that I've done. It's nothing that you've done except to believe in Christ by faith. By faith. And he counts as blameless. Now, don't raise your hand. Some of you sinned this morning. Some of us are going to sin this afternoon. But we're Christian. We're born again. I'm covered in the blood of the Lamb. And so I'm blameless before him. Now, that's not carte blanche to go out and continue to sin. Lord, change me. Lord, transform me. As we're reading here, <coughs> excuse me, Lord, reconcile me, Lord. Let that transformation take place. Notice now in verse 23. If indeed, and I like this, what Paul says, if is a conditional word. If indeed you continue in faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which you heard. We heard the gospel, which was preached to every creature, Paul says. Paul is saying that the first generation of the church, they heard the gospel. He says, every creature under heaven... And then Paul says, of which I, Paul, became a minister of this gospel. And so, if you continue, remember the conditional word, if you continue in your faith. 
Look at the two words, grounded and steadfast. If you continue in your faith, settled and immovable. I like those two translations. Not moved from the hope, which is faith. Held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every living creature at this time. Under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant by choice. In other passages, Paul calls himself a bond slave by choice. And so as the church, the body of Christ, as one that is reconciled and being reconciled, have this confidence. The word is faith. Have this faith that God will receive us unto himself when Christ presents the church to him. Here's the key. As long as we continue in the faith. Don't just call yourself a Christian, but continue in the faith. Don't just say, well, back in 1985, I gave my life to Jesus. Great, but is there change? Is there transformation? Now, listen to what one of my commentaries, because Paul's speaking to the Gentiles, but Jews are also included. The two divisions of mankind, speaking of Jew and Gentile, to both of these the gospel has been preached, and to each salvation by Christ has been equally offered. And as none had been excluded from the offers to salvation and receiving God's grace and God's mercy. You see, the Bible teaches that salvation is to the Jew first. But how beautifully we're not excluded. If you study Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, it speaks about how the gospel message was first given to the Jews. And the Jews by nature rejected the Messiah. And in Romans chapter 11, it says that we, the Gentiles, become the grafted in branch. But God is not finished with the nation of Israel. Be careful with those that say that God is finished with Israel. The seven years of tribulation is to woo back the Jews unto God. The Bible says at the end of the tribulation, every eye shall see him in the second coming. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me give you some more insight in verse 23. Jesus Christ has tasted death for every man, every woman. And the Jews and Gentiles in their great corporate capacity had all been invited to believe the gospel. And I love our United States of America. We are definitely without excuse. The gospel has been preached and taught to this nation probably more than others. And so the gospel message. Therefore, the apostle concludes that the gospel was preached to every man, every woman under heaven as being offered without restriction or limitations to these two divisions, Jew and Gentile. The two divisions of mankind. This includes the whole human race. You and I this morning, Jesus died for each one of us and to reconcile us unto him. You see, to us, Jesus is not just a good man, but to us, Jesus is Messiah. The Jews are still waiting for Messiah. And yet Jesus has been with us the last 2,000 years. Now, verses 24 through 29, Paul switches gears here just a little bit, but he gives a slight testimony 
Because if anybody was a Jew of Jews, it was Paul. This Saul of Tarsus, it becomes Paul the Apostle. If anybody followed the strictness of the law, it was this Saul of Tarsus. In Acts chapter 9, he's going to Damascus with letters in hand. He wants to bring back Christians. He's going to put them on trial. And some, he even consents to their death as he did to young Stephen. And so listen to Paul's logic here in verse 24. He begins, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, if I read verse 24, if you read verse 24, and I just leave it there, you just leave it there, it sounds like Paul says, listen, Christ didn't do enough on the cross, so I had to suffer also for the gospel and for you. But to the contrary, Paul knew that it had nothing to do with him. He profited from Jesus' death. But Paul also knew his position. Listen. That he suffered greatly. If you go back to Acts chapter 9, as Paul is on the road to Damascus, the Bible says that a great light shone round about them, and there were several other people with them. And the Bible says that this light knocked Paul off of his animal, and that Paul responded, Is that you, Lord? And then Paul immediately was blinded for the next three days. He was taken by the hand and delivered uh, into Damascus. But this time not to gather Christians, but he couldn't see no more. And they took him to a house of a man by the name of Ananias. And God had spoken clearly to Ananias and said, This Solitarsus, you will minister to him for three days and to care for his needs. For I have a great ministry for him. He is going to preach to kings and magistrates, but he's also going to suffer greatly. And so this is what Paul's bringing forth here. That he knows the suffering that Christ went through because he suffered also. In verse 24, Paul is saying, I'm happy, I'm cheerful. When I suffer for you in my body, Paul's ministry... When he would go to a church, he suffered greatly. He's writing to the, the Colossians from prison in Rome. And so he says here, I suffer for you in my body, for I am com completing what remains of Christ's suffering for his body, the church. Paul didn't say salvation came through him because he suffered. Jesus said that suffering was going to be part of the church. Paul's in Rome. He had access in, in a prison condition. Remember, we've shared it's in house arrest. But he could not leave. Oh, people came to him for counseling. People came for, to him to lay hands and to, to be healed. Many that were part uh, of the Roman army came to saving grace. And so Paul had a purpose. But he suffered. You've been a Christian long enough. Some are called to suffer more than others. Look at the list of the names in our bulletin. Some of these saints have been with us for a long time. And they're suffering. Some, their suffering has already been told by the doctors to their death. And why is it that some suffer more than others? Paul knew that he did not go to the cross and die for us. 
He knew that Jesus did all of that for him also. But Paul says, if Jesus suffered, I'm going to suffer. And if Jesus suffered and Paul suffered, we're going to suffer also. And so suffering is part of the church. We can't deny it. There's a beautiful book. Some of you have read it. It's called book, the book is called Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's all about the early church, the great suffering. And then you go to Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the faith chapter. And we read about some of the, the brothers in the early church, how they suffered greatly. <coughs> Excuse me. And even some in the Old Testament. I want you to think about the suffering of Job. Job chapters 1 and 2, he suffered greatly. Yet God gave permission for Lucifer to test his servant, Job. Remember, there was this, this covering, this hedge of protection. And God lowers the hedge because God knew his servant, Job. What about Jonah? He was in the belly of the great fish for three days, suffered. If you know anything about Jeremiah, he was called the weeping prophet of 55 years, no converts. And uh, I mean, they beat that boy up. In fact, we find him in, in muddied cisterns, in stocks. Yet he suffered greatly for God. Isaiah, the prophet, were told that they put him in a log and they sawed him in half. Paul, we know, suffered greatly. You read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 17, listen to what Paul says. He has the audacity to write this concerning his sufferings. He says these things, speaking of his sufferings, are but light afflictions. I say, Paul, why do you write stuff like that? Then I have to live by it. You have to live by it. If Jesus suffered, you're going to suffer. If Paul suffered, we're going to suffer. Some of us more than others. I was thinking of John the Beloved. The Bible says that John the Beloved was the only one that was not martyred. But yet, if you recall, John was placed in boiling oil. And he did not die. They thought that he was deranged, that he was crazy. And so they used to send the crazy people to Patmos. Paul went to Patmos and he wrote the book of Revelation. God had a plan. God had a purpose. The Bible says that John died of an old age. But I think he suffered a little bit in that big pot of oil. Nobody's ever put me in a pot of oil. Yet we complain of the little things. Write this verse down. You all know it. In James chapter 1, verse 2, James says, and this is the half-brother of Christ, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Oh, James, where'd you pick that up from? Paul? These are but light afflictions. You see, church, we're not exempt. And Ananias had prophesied that Paul was going to suffer greatly. Jesus says some of us are going to suffer more than others. When you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, study that when you go home, verses 22 through 33. Paul speaks of his sufferings in Christ. He gives testimony. Five times I received over 40 stripes each time. 
He was beaten with rods three times. He was shipwrecked and stoned, left for dead. I think there was three shipwrecks that Paul went through. Then he goes through this whole rendition of perils. Peril speaks of troubles. Paul says, I, I witnessed perils of my countrymen, perils of my, you know, the Sanhedrin, perils of the religious leaders, perils of robbers. Paul went through many hardships. It was all for the glory of God. And so, church, some of us are going to suffer more than others. But this is, listen, the process of reconciliation. I wish we could just say, Lord, no more suffering, please. Some of you have seen your loved ones all the way to their deathbed. And you ask, and there's nothing wrong with it. Lord, why? I thank God through the years none of my children have been afflicted. I, I thank God through the years neither my wife or I have been afflicted. And I have pastor friends that their wives have died. Their children, some have died. There's a pastor in Lake Elson or Calvary Chapel. His wife's been in a wheelchair since I've known Pastor John Duncan. And you look at her and she just loves the Lord, man. Some are going to suffer greater than others. And so Paul brings this forth. He's not saying, hey, because of my suffering, you're going to go, you know, you're going to get saved. You're going to be reconciled. No, Paul understood Look at verse 25 now. He goes on, he says, of which, speaking of this, you know, ministry of suffering, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from uh, God from which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Paul knew his calling. I hope this morning you know your calling. Paul was called to serve, a servant, a slave by choice. He often shares that in his epistles. Paul was given stewardship. Listen to the word. Dispensation. Paul was given the managerial position of bringing forth the gospel to be preached to the Jew and the Gentile. We mentioned that earlier. To fulfill the word of God. To fully preach, he says here. The Greek says to fill up the word of God or to fully teach and the full counsel of God. Through the gospel to all mankind. In Acts chapter 20, Paul's given his farewell speech to the Ephesian elders, and he says, Man, I gave you for three years, I gave you the full counsel of God. In the years that my wife and I have been here and our kids, I, somebody asked me, How long have you been here this morning? First service, I said, This is going to be our 26th year. I initially came out here for seven years to understand the ropes of being a minister. And then I was going to go back to Southern California. That's my home. And here we are 26 years later. And man, God has called me, listen, to preach and to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. Paul is called. We understand that. You see me, you understand my calling. But what about your calling? Maybe you'll never get behind the pulpit. Maybe you'll never have a Bible study. But we are all called as God is reconciling us. Tomorrow you go to your workplace, you're a witness, you're a testimony there. Tomorrow you might go to your school, you're a witness there, you're a testimony. What about your neighbors? But here's the greatest challenge. 
You've come to saving grace. God has reconciled you. Have you witnessed to your family? We had a beautiful lady this morning who's been coming to our church for a time. And all this time she's been coming by herself and just praying for her husband, praying for her husband. And this morning he comes to saving grace. We're not to give up. And I know it doesn't happen overnight. Some have prayed for years for their spouses and still no salvation. But Paul was given this dispensation, this managerial position to preach the gospel. But so have you to the ends of the world. You know, all we have to do is keep our eyes open and our ears, you know, attentive. Watch when you go to, uh, you know, the restaurant. Look at the waiters. Look at the waitress. Most likely you're going to see hurt and pain. You're going to see concerns in their hearts. You have the answer. I have the answer. And you're able to reach out to them. You might get rejected, but that's okay. You've done your part. Do it with love. Do it with compassion. So Paul's going to speak now about this mystery. How does it work? What is this mystery of, of salvation, this mystery of Christ being the Messiah, even though he was a man? The Bible says he is the incarnate God. Now, before I go to verse 26, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3 and just hang there. We're going to read it right now. But let me read verse 26 to you. Paul goes on, he says, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. I like that. This mystery, the word is a secret. It was hidden from a church, from the church until Christ came and he died for the sins of all mankind. Now for the last 2,000 years, it has been revealed to us. It's no longer a mystery, but it's a revealed truth to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Paul goes a little bit deeper on this doctrine of the mystery of the church. It's revealed now. He begins in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Remember the dispensation, the stewardship. Paul was called to, to preach, to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 3, he goes on, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have Briefly written to you already. If you go to the book of Galatians and you study it. Paul tells us that for three years after he came to saving grace. He went to Arabia. And there in the desert I believe he received the revelation from Christ himself. Many scholars believe the same thing. That Jesus manifested this mystery of God to Paul. Salvation through Christ. Now Paul was a student of the law. Studied under Gamaliel, the great teacher. Gamaliel was called the beauty of the law. Paul was the doctor of the law. And yet Paul comes to the knowledge. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Look at verse 4 now. By which when you read, uh, you may understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, to the church at Ephesus, 
And then we're studying the letter to the Colossians, and now to us this morning. Get into God's Word. You claim to be Christian. Do you get into God's Word, or do you just wait for Sunday morning, and then you don't come every Sunday morning? And some of you don't come on Wednesday, so do you get into the Old Testament? God has given us 66 books. There's no excuse. Get into God's Word. His Word will reveal to you everything. Remember when you first got saved? You know God touched your life, but then you heard, you heard words like righteousness and holiness, and, and they're saying, that's what you are. And you go, me? You hear the word reconciliation. You hear the word justification. You hear the word sanctification. And at first, you don't understand. Remember this one? Remember the first time you heard the word rapture? And you go, what? What did he say? The rupture of the church? What does he mean? But as we study, listen, as we grow in Christ, the Holy Spirit reveals these things to me, uh, to you. Look at verse 5, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. The Old Testament saints didn't quite understand it. They read the scriptures, but they still didn't understand. But the Old Testament was pointing uh, to the cross. Verse 6 says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. See, this was very tough on the Jews. He says here that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Yes, salvation to the Jew first. But God has also given the salvation message to the Gentiles. Because the Bible teaches that God is no respecter of persons. There's no prejudice in God. All are one in Christ. Remember, the two divisions come together in Christ. Verse 7, the conclusion, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me, and I like this, by the effective working of his power. Paul says, I'm a servant. You're a servant this morning. It's a gift to the church. You're a gift to the church. It's not just the pastors, but we're all called to serve. The Greek word says here, God empowered us, dunamis power. He enabled Paul. He enabled you. He enables me to preach, to teach, to witness of God's love with, without the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't do it. Neither can you. Oh, Pastor Bob, I, I can't share. And I want you to think right now, there's been times when you've had the opportunity you come, you hear, you listen, you receive, and then all of a sudden, somebody asks you of that hope that's within you. And then you go, oh, no, I knew this was going to come one day. And then you try your best, and then all of a sudden, two and a half hours later, you haven't shut your mouth. Because the Holy Spirit has brought back those things to your remembrance. He is your teacher. And so God's love without the power of the Holy Spirit, in and through me, in and through Paul, in and through you, on a daily basis, it has to take place. If you're a Christian this morning, if you have been reconciled, and you're continually being reconciled, maybe some of us are lacking of this baptism of the Holy Spirit, not the baptism of water, but at, back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Look at verse 26. Let's go back to our text now. We read this already, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now 
has been revealed to his saints, you, the church, the body of Christ, for the last 2,000 years. Verse 27, to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles. He says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In verse 27, it pleased God, we shared that earlier, to tell his people, the Jews, that the riches and glory of Christ are for Gentiles also. For this is the secret. Christ lives in you, and this is your assurance that you will share in his glory, Jew or Gentile, if we receive Christ. The mystery continues. He has saved you by his grace through faith in Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. He has saved you by his grace through faith in Christ. We have, listen now, eternal life in Jesus Christ. Not the law, not animal sacrifices, but by the blood of Christ at the cross. His blood is what washes me. We're coming to the conclusion. Look at verse 28. Him we preach, speaking of Christ, warning every man and teaching every man, every woman in all wisdom, that we may present every man, every woman, complete or perfect in Christ Jesus. And so Paul here, preaching is for the non-believer. Always remember that. Teaching is for the believer. If you come on Wednesday nights, it's strictly a teaching ministry. But if you come on Sunday mornings, we have mixed multitudes sometimes. And so you have a combination of preaching and teaching. Before we came to Christ, we were receiving the preaching of the word. And now we come to Christ. When I come to church, I'm being taught the word of God. It is so important. Now the Bible teaches, as we've been sharing all along, we're not complete yet. We are being completed. We are not totally, <coughs> excuse me, reconciled. We are being reconciled. One day Jesus will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the glory of God. Now, please don't misunderstand. We are saved, but I'm not complete. You're not complete. Until Jesus takes us home with him. How do I know that I'm complete? Because I sin. How do I know I'm not complete, that is? Because I sin daily. You sin daily. Praise God that we have an advocate. Praise God that we have a lawyer for our defense. And that lawyer is Christ. Some of you, as we shared, sinned already this morning before you even came to church. Some of you are going to sin after you leave here. We're not exempt. We're being complete. But I know when I sin. You know when you sin. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. Always remember this verse. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 19, John says, If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me. Verse 29, the conclusion. To this end, Paul says, I also labor striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. I like that. Listen to Paul's words here in the Greek. I work very hard at this. And 
the ministry sometimes can be laborious. But we do it to the glory of God. Paul is saying here, I work very hard. I labor. I struggle at this. He says, I toil at it. I sweat at it. I, I must depend on Jesus Christ and his mighty power, his dunamis power. Man, when I'm up here on Sunday mornings, first service, second service, I mean, everything's going great. When I get home after two services, I'm wiped out. And I know some of my pastor friends have three services. The musicians go through two services also. Sometimes the ushers do double duty. Sometimes the children's church, somebody didn't show, so they stay again. And by the time we're done, our physical bodies become tired. And we need refreshing. And so God gives us that dynamic power, that dunamis power. Paul says, I can't do it, this work of God, this call uh, unto salvation, this call to ministry. I can't do it, but I depend 101% on God's Holy Spirit working in and through me. Flip back just a few pages when we were in Philippians chapter 4, remember? I love this verse because it has always spoken to my heart. Because I have a, a tendency to complain. Oh, I already, man, I put in a full day today. But listen to what Paul says. I can do all things. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, who empowers me, who enables me. The unction of the Holy Spirit is the one that gives me the grace to continue. And so Paul is sharing with the Philippian church, I can do all things through Christ. He's sharing to the church at Colossae, I can do all things through Christ. This morning, I'm telling you, you can do all things through Christ. There at the church at Philippi, Paul had said, he's in prison, remember? I have learned to, to be abased, in other words, to the lowest. I have learned to abound. Paul had both been rich and poor. He understood that. Paul understood there was times he had plenty. There was times he had nothing. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Paul had the power of God in and through him. Yet taking no glory unto himself. He knew that his strength, his ability, his enabling came through the power of God's Holy Spirit. Paul was just the messenger. Remember stewardship? He was just the manager. You're just the manager. I'm just the manager. We're called to proclaim this gospel. Now write this down. I shared it earlier, but I want to read the whole text to you. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is getting ready to ascend. Ten days later, the power of the Holy Spirit was going to come upon the early church, and Peter, for one, was never the same after that. His first preaching assignment, 3,000 souls came to saving grace. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, these are the words of Christ. You shall receive power, the word is dunamis, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, the upi experience. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. If you've dealt with people, beautiful saints, from the Pentecostal circles or the charismatic circles, <coughs> excuse me, still struggling with my throat, 
And uh, when they start talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it never fails, but it comes up. Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues? My Bible says that the greatest evidence is God's love in you. Uh, tongues was one of the least of the book, of, of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that is. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it empowers you with God's love to be, listen to what he says there in Acts 1a, an effective witness for him. Oh, I want to share with my neighbor, but I, I'm afraid. That's okay. I want to share with my brother, my sister, my mom, my dad, but man, I'm afraid. You know what we're afraid of? Rejection. They're not rejecting you. Trust me. They're rejecting Christ. <laughs> when Mary and I would go visit family, friends, they would say, here comes the nuns. They would say it in Spanish. Here comes the monjas. I didn't know. I probably would have got mad then. <laughs> But you know what? They need to know Christ. They need to know Christ. They, they're not reconciled. They, have, they call themselves Christians, but they have not come to reconciliation as you have. And this morning, I'm going to challenge you before we conclude. If you have not, or if you're totally backslidden, you need to repent. And you need to receive Christ again or for the first time. Let's stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, your love, and your mercy. Oh, Lord, what a powerful message on reconciliation. And I thank you, Lord, for the majority of us. I know that you have saved us already, Lord. And I know that you've reconciled us. You are reconciling us every day. We're growing in Christ. But, Lord, maybe somebody's here this morning and has never made that commitment to Christ. They've never come to saving grace. Or maybe they have and the enemy has just ripped them off. And they need to rededicate that life. With every head bowed and every eye closed. We're not here to judge anybody. We are all sinners saved by grace. But you need to acknowledge to God that you want to come to that place now of salvation. With every eye closed, every head bowed. I want to take this opportunity. If you've never received Christ or you'd like to rededicate that life because you've been so far away from God, I want you to indicate if the Holy Spirit has moved on your heart, not to come up, but right there where you're at. Raise your hand. I want to say a simple prayer of faith. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand up here in front. Anybody else, please raise your hand. I want to say that prayer of faith. I see your hand right there in the middle. Several hands have gone up. Praise God. Anybody else before we close? Then let's pray. Father, I thank you for these this morning that raised their hands unto you, Lord. Not unto me. Not unto Calvary Chapel. But, Lord, they're reaching out to you. Lord, they need you desperately. As we, in time past, need, needed you desperately. And we still need you daily, Lord. But, Father, as they've raised their hands, the Bible says that you're faithful and just to forgive us. If we confess our sins, you see our hearts. And, Lord, you forgive our sins past, present, and future. Lord, forgive these beautiful servants that have raised their hands this morning. And now, Lord, they begin today 
the ministry of reconciliation. And Lord, a year from now that we would look back and see how much you have changed us, transformed us. Metamorphosis, a new man, a new woman in Christ. Father, we also spoke of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we can't do it without you. We need your power. We need your unction. And Lord, right now, baptize us, each one of us, and especially those that came to saving grace or returned to saving grace this morning. Baptize us in the power of your Holy Spirit because we need your power, Lord. We need your dunamis power, your dynamic power, the power of your Holy Spirit. We don't want to be the same anymore. We want to be different. We want to be set apart for your glory, for your kingdom. Lord, give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, especially those that raise their hands. Give them a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Give them a hunger and a thirst for your word. We love you, Lord, and we praise you, and we worship you. Father, bless those that raise their hands. Father, bless the offerings this morning. As you've given to us, we give back a portion. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And we all agree by saying amen.